Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Rich Cahill, and he'll be answering your questions on fly fishing, the Panama Canal, and the Pacific Coast Rivers. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Rich a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive it immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have to leave early, you can always return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience to listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted. It's the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Rich Cahill about fly fishing, the Panama Canal, and the Pacific Coast Rivers. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lease Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lease Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com, or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Rich, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. And look for the link under Rich's section that says register for the free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. I've got a list of books that I can give out, and if you're the lucky winner tonight, you'll get to pick from that list. So here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question's going to be about something that Rich and I talk about during the show, and if you're the first person to submit the right answer, along with your name and location, then you'll win the book. Now, listen closely. Use your best typing skills. We use that same form that we use to ask questions on the homepage. So you'll be putting in your, your answer there. So, yeah, take lots of notes, pay attention, and listen carefully, and maybe you'll win a book from Stackpole Books. Our guest tonight is Rich Cahill. Rich is a fisherman, naturalist, noted guide, and expedition leader, born and raised in Panama to American parents. After attending college in the U.S., Rich returned to Panama City, where he helped pioneer ecotourism in the 1990s in Panama and is a current co-founder of Ancon Expeditions, working in this field for over 30 years. In 2006, he pursued his passion for fishing, recognizing the need 
He started a guided fishing experience on the freshwater Gatun Lake on the Panama Canal for peacock bass, snook, and tarpon, and then tarpon on the Bayano River. Rich brings a unique experience being a historian, delivering amazing stories on this waterway. As the company grew, he realized that fly fishers were more attracted to this accessible opportunity and offered flat deck hurricane lake boats to meet that experience. Panama Canal Fishing pioneered this guided experience and has now expanded to fly fishing for snook, tarpon, and peacock bass with well-experienced local captains. Panama is the only place in the world where Atlantic tarpon transit via the Panama Canal, making their way to the Pacific, giving fly fishers the opportunity to fish tarpon in the Pacific rivers. Rich, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Roger, well, good evening, good evening. Glad to be yeah. on. Yeah, sorry we had that rough start, but we got it sorted out. So, <laughs> And you're That's still good. there. That's I was good. kind of... Holding I'm my breath. Here. <laughs> yeah, so good, good. Good to have you on tonight. We'll have a lot of fun here. Lots of things to talk about tonight. And so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, let me see here. First of all, the when we're talking about Panama before we well, first thing, I've got to pose Patrick's question because he says, Cool hat, where did you get it? So they're looking at your picture and want to know what kind of hat you got on. So what, what kind of there hat you got? There you go. On? Well, that's a Tilly hat. It's a Tilly hat. Is it? And, uh, yeah, I work with uh, National Geographic as well. So it's one of those hats that I use in the rain. It's good for it. And so, yeah, it's a Tilly. Yeah, that's what I wear, too. I've had it for, gosh, I don't know. Maybe twenty years or something. <laughs> mine, they say mine's it's got a light ringer. Yeah, it, mine's been through the ringer, and I tell you, it's, it's still a good hat. Well, they guarantee them for life too. I think so. They sure uh, do. They sure do. Yeah, yeah. So even if you lose them, but yeah, I love Mike till he had as well, and wear it backpacking, fishing, just anywhere outside. Yeah, you really. can put, put your flies on the tilly, and it, it, I've had a billion flies on my tilly over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah. doesn't leak water. Doesn't leak, yeah, okay. Um, and one of the things, if you've never had a Tilly hat, I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but when I got mine, in the uh, inside of the hat, there's a little pocket, and they give yeah, you a little advertising referral, like little slips of paper that if somebody asks you what kind of hat you got, you can hand them that, and then they know where to go get their Tilly. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought that Pretty was much. interesting. The lost interesting. And found, the lost and found cap as well. They yeah. in there and it's got your name. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go, Patrick, in New Orleans. Uh, now you know. You get your Tilly hat and you'll be all set. So, Rich, first, tell us about your personal history in Panama because, like we read in your bio, you were born to American parents. So tell us tell us how, right. how that all yeah, got so, started down so, there. <laughs> So my father actually came down here, a very young man, 1948, and brought an airline to this country and uh, stayed here. We were kids that were born in the 60s. And so I grew up through uh, Panama's transitionary period. A lot of you might remember that Panama went through a dictatorship 23 years. And then that ended with a little invasion in 1989, which brought a, uh, a wonderful, uh, peaceful climate to our country in 1990, and this is where I embarked on the uh, idea of getting into ecotourism. 
a lot of people aren't aware, but you know what what America made, the Panama Canal, is also surrounded by pristine rainforest between the oceans. So it, it's a fantastic place when you're surrounded by uh, wildlife. You have toucans in the trees, sloths, monkeys, and at the same time, you know you're fishing for peacock bass, which is an introduced species, by the way. But yeah, so I grew up here in Panama City. I went to school with the kids in the canal zone. That's why you hear my English, and you're like, well, you didn't sound very Panamanian. But there was a big American <laughs> enclave, and that's why a lot of us speak English just like this, and you, I could be from anywhere in the United States, right? But I've lived here all my life, and I've made it my passion. I like the fishing. is wonderful. It's accessible. It's quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you said you did go to the college in the States, right? Um, I did. I went to school up in New Hampshire, so I got my fair share of snow winter. <laughs> I've been out to Colorado, beautiful Colorado for sure. And I've traveled around the United States, and uh, my guests come from all sorts of places in the United States. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, How did you, That's uh, what I mostly get is U.S. guests. Right. How did you get the? How did you get started after college in the ecotourism trade? Well, at first I got involved. I got out of college and I went into what I studied was um, economics, and I was actually in banking. Well, that came to a, oh. a, a broad halt in 1989 with the invasion, so kind of lost my job there. And I got involved in writing a business plan for ecotourism, and we quickly found out about Costa Rica next door and uh, how successful it was, and uh, we decided that, well, we need people to be trained in order to be in the field. Well, Panama happens to have a very prestigious scientific community known as the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, and they were very nice to help us out with 20 hours of each scientist to help us in mammals and birds and botany and things like that, and so we really got trained by the best. They're located here in Panama, and we uh, set up lots of guiding. And, of course, those that could speak English very well took the first tours. I said, well, I'll do that for a couple of months. It's been 30 years. <laughs> so I've, I've made a career out of it. And uh, yeah. I've traveled to every Latin American country through the Amazon. I've been down to, you know, from Argentina, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Galapagos, Colombia, you name it, I've been everywhere, all the way up in Belize, all those places. So I know Latin America quite well. Now, are you still doing that, or are you totally, yes, totally am, focused I on am, fishing? Oh, okay. I am still doing this. I can't get away from it as I've built a career around it, and I've been able to do that and fish. So I'm actually leading the life that many people would love to lead, is to be able to, you know, work and at the same time be able to do your passion, which my passion is in fishing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to do some conservation and do give back to the industry. And so I've selected my passion, which is going to be to with uh, protecting tarpon. Right, right. Well, we can talk about that more later. What got you started in the, the guided fishing? And did you did you start right off with fly fishing, or did you 
first start with I Finn? did not. No. Okay. I'll, no, I'll, I'll tell you how it got started. What happened was we all grew up going to the lake and you know, just going out with a, a Zebco or, you know, just a spin rod. And so it was very easy to go out and catch a whole bunch of peacock bass. So I knew that from high school. And it's always a good time that you could go out for a couple of hours and do really well. And then as I got into the tourism side, I started to see that no one really was doing a guided service for fishing. And I thought, like, well, you know, I, I got to first analyze what kind of boat I need. So um, I figured that if I went with a flat boat, I could, you know, take families and things like that. They're going to always take them fishing. Um, I could take them out. So, in fact, that's how I started with the whole idea of, of just doing spin fishing, getting families. And as I started to specialize, I started to get, you know, one person, two people, and it was getting a lot. So these are people who are coming down from the States going, wow, I want to get a peacock bass. So I'd take them out. And I started seeing, oh, wow, there's quite a group of people wanting to come down to, to fish the Panama Canal. And so I did that for a few years. And then a couple of years ago, I'd say probably about five years ago, is really when it hit. I started to get fly fishermen all over the place calling in. And there's a couple of reasons for it. Remember, they used to go to Venezuela. Well, not many people go to Venezuela nowadays. And mm. so the next country over, and it seems safe, easy, and uh, you can get to it from the United States so simple because our internal airline, you know, travels to many, many states, Copa Airlines. So um, it seemed very easy to people, and it wasn't far away, and it was the U.S. dollar account. Next thing I know, boom, I'm getting all sorts of people fishing. But fly fishing has become a lot of fun because it's an art. And my captain, for example... We sit there and we enjoy seeing people cast. Right. So fly fishing has definitely become a, a big segment of my fishing now. But you're still doing both, the spin fishing and the fly fishing, depending oh, on yeah, the Oh, yeah, I do spin do. fishing, okay. bait caster, anything yeah. that the guests like, of course. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk then about, uh, get started talking about Panama Canal and you know, when I first, I can't remember, I stumbled upon your site somehow, and uh, that caught my eye right away. I reached out to you, you know, I said, Panama Canal, I've never heard of fishing a Panama Canal. But I want you to describe what that means, because it's not maybe what I thought it was. Like <laughs> throwing a That's lure right. in front of a tanker, you know, ship going by. Right. Uh, so right. Tell yeah, us about it's true. That. That's true. It's a hard concept to think about, but. So you have to imagine that this waterway, it's the way that it works is a lake that is um, elevated at 85 feet above sea level. It's 164 square miles of water. And so when they were building the Panama Canal, they had this river in the center of the isthmus. So they had to block up that river. And they created this massive lake and all hilltops became islands, and they flooded over rainforest. So when I take you fishing, we would go to the area of that river, Chagres River, see, and then we would motor in the channel where all the ships are going, in the channel of buoys, right? They're making their way to either ocean, and then we go off those buoys, and we go back behind the islands. In fact, 
where the Smithsonian is, Barrow, Colorado Island, very famous. They want to look that up. That's a great little spot to look at in the canal. But back there, there's a dozen coves. If you don't have a captain and you decided you go take your own boat, you'd get lost. That's how many coves are in there. And you're going over tree trunks. And it's beautiful. So the structure underneath is amazing. That's just alone, the scenery. And to understand where you are is really a quite an impressive, impressive day on that. So a lot of people don't really they think of a, of a canal being like cement and buildings all the way across. And in fact, no, it's only these lock chambers. You have three main lock chambers. And so it's like a staircase or elevate you into 85 feet. And then you travel across that lake to the other lock chambers that lowers you into the other ocean. You see, so I fish, Panama Canal fishing is off those buoys into that lake system. Does that make it uh, sound a little better? Yeah, so, um, and folks, I put a link. I found a really good description of how the whole Panama Canal works, so you can watch it after the show and get an idea. Um, but I never knew that there was the, this lake in the middle of things. So um, I don't know if, if this is anything you know about. Is Do they think that that lake was left over from the sea lowering or something at some point? Because I would think that at one point the, the ocean's, connected there naturally. Did they ever? That's right. So the isthmus, in fact, rose about 3.5 million years ago, and it became a land bridge. So okay. it connected the continents. So, yes, it was the lowest saddle in all of the Ring of Fire. So if you were to put your finger in a topographical map in Alaska and follow all that rib of mountain range, that would bring you down into Mexico and into you know Honduras and Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and into Panama, and then it would just dribble to it, nothing. So it is very, very flat in that area, which was perfect for building a canal, making a uh, being able. And also remember, the isthmus, the canal is only 50 miles long, from ocean to ocean. So yeah. those 50 miles inside, you have this lake that comprises probably almost three-quarters of that canal in water. Good, yeah. Right. Let me, uh, yeah. let, when we come back, I'm going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you some more questions on that, on the canal and the, and the recent changes and so forth. So hang tight. I'll be back in, a, in just a few seconds. The Ugly Bug Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, has been serving fly fishers in Wyoming and around the world since 1983. Their selection of top-of-the-line gear and a huge assortment of flies is one of the best in the land. All products are available in their fly shop and online. Looking for advice? Just give them a call, and their expert professional staff will help you with whatever you need. Visit Ugly Bug Fly Shop today at UglyBugFlyShop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. Again, that's UglyBugFlyShop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Rich Cahill about fly fishing the Panama Canal and Pacific Coast Rivers. If you'd like to ask Rich a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com 
and put your question in that box there, and we'll get it, and we'll try to answer it tonight on the show. Okay, Rich, hey, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So, um, yeah, tell us about your fishing business and uh, how people can get a hold of you and so forth. All right, well, uh, very easy. Uh, um, the name of my company, Panama Canal Fishing. So info at Panama Canal Fishing is uh, email. Very, very easy to get a hold of me. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook under Panama Canal Fishing. And um, I am open 24 hours, as they say. I always get calls on my phone, which appear on, on my uh, website. And I'm always available as I get people calling at uh, all hours. You know how fishermen are, right? That's how they are. <laughs> and that's, what's, that's and your, uh, your, your domain name, too, your URL is PanamaCanalFishing.com as well, right? My domain name, yes, yeah. is PanamaCanalFishing.com. Yes, and, correct. And you're providing a guide service on uh, Gatun Lake? Um, as well as uh, other places that we'll talk about here later, right? Um, That's correct. Uh, guided service on Gatun Lake, Panama Canal. That's correct. And um, when people come to fish in Panama, where do they stay? Okay, so that, this is a very good one. People need to understand Panama is extremely accessible. When they fly in, they come into this beautiful modern skyscraper city that people just are drop dropped. I can pick them up from any hotel inside Panama City, you know, be it a JW Marriott, a Hilton, uh, whatever, and um, it only takes me 30 minutes between the hotel to where my boat is, where we launch in the Chagres River uh, to go up to Gatun Lake. And so I usually pick people up at 6 a.m. in the morning, and we fish for about six hours or back in their hotel say, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So that's that's a half day, and it's usually that's a pretty good day right there. Gives them okay. plenty of time in the lake. Oh, good, good, good. Now, are you also guiding on uh, for blue water trips as well? Yes. So recently we have gotten into uh, doing uh, ocean trips. Uh, a lot of my guests asked to do, like, multi-days. So we have a 31-foot contender with outriggers with two uh, twin Yamaha 300s on the back of it, and we fish in the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean at this time of the year, right, June, July, August, September, and October, are great times for um, yellowfin tuna, for sailfish, for mahi-mahi, camara snappers, roosterfish, things like that. So, yes, we, we are ready to go in the ocean, and again, very simple. From Panama City, my vans pick you up. We drive up the coast, and we come into a marina where our boat is located, and we go out to the Pacific for the day. When you go to the ocean, you go to the ocean. So it's not like you say, oh, let's just go for a couple of hours. When you go to the ocean, you're committed. So we go out there for the day, and uh, it's a wonderful day out there. Good, good. Well, let's uh, we'll talk about that near the end of the show again, because uh, I'd like to find out more about that. But Let's come on back to um, thanks for sharing all that about your business so that people know where to get a hold of you. And, again, that's PanamaCanalFishing.com. And Rich has, has a great website there and shows you all about uh, fishing there. So uh, so back to um, Panama Canal and, and Gatun Lake. 
there, you had mentioned, you know, when we had talked the other day, you had mentioned that there were changes that have happened to the canal recently that have affect, affected the fishing unusually yep. <laughs> in Gatun Lake. So tell us about what that is all about. Okay, so in the year 2016, we opened a new lane, a new lane to enter the waterway, creating a larger canal for larger ships. And when that happened, that new lane, believe it or not, brought in some salinity into the lake, having more ability for other fish to enter. And so now we have found Jack Carvel in the lake. Jack Revelle, imagine that. So uh, that's exciting because if anybody knows Jack Revelle, or they're quite the strike, and uh, they're usually a you know surface fish. It looks like they're just boiling on the surface, and it looks like a bunch of crocodiles coming at each other. But it's just Jack Revelle. So yeah, it has changed it, and uh, this is something that of course everybody is concerned about and in looking into this. Uh, we do not want saltwater. Uh, Gatun is a freshwater lake. It's a very important that it remains freshwater for the corrosion, right? It's corrosion not only into the lock chambers but into vegetation. Mm, so, okay. so, so this just happened. So scientists are running down here and are taking a look at this situation. But uh, the good part on the other side is, yeah, we got a couple more species coming in. Yeah, well, when we were talking about it before, I was kind of what? yeah, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? But, but now you're saying uh, hopefully it's a temporary thing, right? Correct, or, correct. Yeah, this, yeah. this really is happening when it's, it, it's uh, low water is where you see this the most. But when, it's, when the rains come through and then it, you know, it still remains a, a fresh water lake, we get 16 feet, 16 feet. Can you imagine that? I would imagine Colorado you don't, but... 16 feet of rain annually. That's a lot wow. of rain. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know what? Rain is great. Everybody asks me, well, uh, is it going to be, a, how's it going to be the day? You actually like this because any dramatic changes in weather is very good for fishing. Wow. And, um, you know, so we have, you know, our dry season, of course, is, uh, say, December, January, February, March is our dry season, and then we have rain season the rest of the year, and that does not affect um, anything, does not affect any fishing at all. It's actually a good thing. Now, when you're, when you're out fishing on the lake, are you away from where the ships are actually going through the lake, or yes, do you see those while away. you're fishing? Okay. Well, yes, we are away from the ships. And uh, like I said, we're nestled into these beautiful coves in there. And the other thing is Panama is not really uh, known yet. So really, you can be out there. There's no boats around. It's just you and the lake. And that's what makes Panama really a wonderful destination. You know, not so good for all of us in, in the business side, but for the fishermen, yes. You know, So, yeah, you're back there, and you're like in full wilderness, full jungle, and pristine. Wow. I mean, this is the same rainforest that Theodore Roosevelt's eyes would have seen. It has mm. never been touched, and it never will be. Wow. Well, is that? Do you say that because the the country has preserved certain areas there, or? Yes, the country and the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal 
reserves five miles on each side of the Panama Canal for the length of 50 miles. It is very important for the waterway to maintain this pristine rainforest to create a microclimate. Mm, okay. So we depend on rain. Well, rain here means money, right? The more water we have, the more ships we have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it's very crucial to us, um, rain. So what um, we you already mentioned peacock bass is one of the I guess the main fish you target in the lake. Yeah, that's the one that you main the mainly you get is a peacock bass. There is snook. A lot of people are not aware of that there's uh, six species of snook on either ocean. We have three definitely identified species in the lake. We got a common snook, we got a fat snook, we got what we call a tarpon snook. A tarpon and snook. And so that's, huh. yeah, tarpon snook. And um, so that's pretty neat. I encourage people to look into snook species. And see, that makes it really interesting. People just think of snook and going to Florida and you get a common snook. Well, you come down to Panama, you have a chance for having a Caribbean or Pacific snook. And then the Pacific, Pacific black snook. You have sword, sword spine snook. So these are things that a lot of people are not aware of. And that's why a guided experience is fun because that's the whole idea is to try to you know, give the the fishermen more information on like, you know, there's not we check our fish. So we gotta check our fish and see what species we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. And Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. And then there's other there's a bluegill. There's bluegill in the lake. Um there is a ladyfish in the lake. And of course the silver king, the tarpon. It's the only place in the world where a tarpon literally transits from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and a lot of people do not know that. And so fishing, getting a tarpon in the lake is big time because it's fresh water, and people don't associate tarpon with that. Um, so do so the, you know uh, the tarp, yeah, so the tarpon come into the canal from the, well, the I guess initially the Atlantic. from the uh, Atlantic side, right, yeah. And then they, the some just, I guess some go all the way through, right, to the Pacific, and then do some right. just stay in the lake and That's live correct. there? And oh, really? Okay. So these are all so, unanswered. These are all unanswered questions because no one has studied it. See, no one has studied that. If, if we ate tarpon, well, I'm sure we would have. We know all those questions, but tarpon is a catch and release, and uh, you know it's a protected species. However, however, in these cultures, of course, you will see that, you know, even our bonefish or tarpon are under threat, right, just because it's a big fish. So that's kind of my, my idea is to try and bring education to that effect to protect the silver king. Right, right. Now, when you go out to fish on the lake for the day, do you go to certain areas for peacock bass, certain areas for snook, or are they... And the tarpon, are they all in the same areas? Is it just a matter of what you're seeing? or Right. Well, we do divide up. Like, I, I know pretty much the areas that we want to go to for peacock bass. And, um, you know, we hit some edges where we can cast the edges and things like that inside coves. And we look at movement around there. But when I want snook, I do change over because snook like shelves. They like kind of rocky areas. 
you know, they're backstreet fighters. They eat crawdads and stuff like that. We have crawdads in the lake, by the way. And so you kind of got to know pretty much where snook would be roaming. And so we go trolling many times for snook, um, which is much more effective trolling. And we'll troll with the uh, Rapalas or we'll troll with Josuris, things like that, and we'll hit the snook. Um, and likewise with the tarpon. Now, of course, you can cast and hit any of the three species because the lake's a lake. Fish yeah. are there. <laughs> so you can be surprised any time. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, right? I, I'm assuming you can still fly fish for all three if you want, right? Uh, yes, you can, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And um, what are you generally are you generally sight casting to fish or are you blind casting or does it depend on the okay. fish? Okay, that's a great question. So what happens is usually you're not really sight casting because you're in a lake that has a lot of tree trunks and stuff like that. So when you cast, you're bringing in this uh, pretty large streamer and you're really stripping super fast. So what is happening is that the fish is going to feel or see that action before you see that fish, see? Okay. And then it's just going to come and it's going to hit it. Sometimes it warrants having a thinking line. It depends on water. It depends on color of water, you know, what kind of day it is. Maybe we'll tell the guest, hey, let's switch over to a sinking line. Maybe the floating line is not working too well. So, yeah, the question is you really are blind casting. Okay, okay. Now, when you say sinking line, is just a sinking tip, or is it a full sinking line yeah, sinking or intermediate? Tip. No, no, there is both. You've got the sinking tip, and you do have sinking line. You have both. But usually the tip is uh, good enough, and um, it, this is not like in the north where you know how you, you can cast, and then you strip a little bit, wait, and keep, and then go again. Mm-hmm. Here, fish, uh, you got to put it in your mind. These are fish that are extremely aggressive. So they love speed. So that means you just strip, strip, strip. Even if you see the fish, because you will, you'll see the fish coming for that fly, you keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. If you stop, <laughs> you'll go away from it. Yeah, just don't stop. And that's where, you know, we're going like, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, you know. And yeah, that's yeah. like, what, what, what? But it's right there. Like, so getting used to it. And then, but you'll see that fish coming for the fly. Okay, okay. And um, what weight rod do you fish with? Not so knowing normally, what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, okay. Normally, I mean, I've had people come with a 5.6, which is fine, but normally I would stick with a, a 7 or an 8 weight. Those okay. are the average. 7 and 8 weight, that's perfect. And you can use that in the lake, and you can use that in the rivers. So, like, I have an Orga 7, and I have uh, in a Temple Fork as well that's an 8. We got, you know, people come down with their sages and stuff like that. I got... You know, but usually it's seven or eight is about the best. Okay, okay. And uh, Joe Scherer in Florida wrote in, and he says, Hey, Rich, what's the typical average size of the peacocks you are catching, and are you using the same setups for all three species of fish mentioned in the title of the program? And that was snook, right. bass, okay. and I think, yeah. Okay, uh, he's absolutely correct because uh, we do switch out for the type of species of fish. 
So um, the uh, going for a snook or a tarpon is going to require a different streamer, uh, maybe different colors, obviously, but the chartreuse really for the peacock bass is uh, very easy. And um, so, yeah, it's the, the, the oh, setup. But what about the... Yeah, what about the rod weight? Do you go up a couple uh, sizes? Yes, right. Right, yeah, sorry. For the rod weight, when I go into um, tarpon, well, then we want a 10 weight. A 10 weight's good. I mean, I've caught tarpon, juvenile tarpon on the 8 weight. I've caught them on the 8 weight, and we're talking about a 22 pound. The peacock bass average that he was asking about, say, one, two, three pounds, like that, so not that big. And uh, but the beauty of it is the strike. He's from Florida. He knows he's cutting some peacock bass over there. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're very aggressive strike. And that's why everybody enjoys fly fishing for peacock bass. Yeah, well, a lot of times, like, um, you know, like you want to hook a big tarpon until you hook it. <laughs> you know? and, that's right. That's right. Exactly. He was out guard. I wish I wouldn't have hooked it. <laughs> That's right. That's why everybody just stays quiet. Yeah, everybody just stays quiet in the boat and kind of just lets them be because you got to manage the fish now. That's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The beauty beauty of catching the small fish that you and I were talking about is, yeah, you get a a juvenile tarpon is a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yep, they are. Yeah, so you get some pretty, I'm looking at your pictures, there's some pretty big snook in there, too. Those are some nice looking Yeah, snooks, so. yeah we've got some real nice snook. And, um, you know, it's all season long, but everything depends. You know, I, I've gone out days where I'm like, you know, yesterday was so good, and today, you know, like, why am I not eating them? You know, so days are days, right? Yeah, fishing is fishing, but right? Yeah. Fishing is fishing. But for sure, we got our spots where you go back, and, you know, you could be surprised with a, a good 12, 15-pound snook. And uh, yeah. that's a good-sized snook right there. Boom. That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, but, you know, that month of May and stuff, you got a lot of fish are spawning and small. And so it makes it a way a lot cha- more challenging. Why? Because of the column of water, what you have. You have all these little individuals flying around, on the surface, and snagging, snagging your fly and stuff like that. So that's where we got to either move out of the way. We're like, ah, oh, we got we hit the nursery here, and then we got to mm-hmm. move out of the way, and we got to let it sink because the bigger fish are on the bottom and they're kind of lethargic. So those are the challenges of any fishing when you have those months where you got a lot of juveniles in the area. So I'm just trying to envision this. Um of going into these little coves, are you casting into shore and around structure for the most part? Yes. Rather than correct. open water? We are, we're casting literally to the shores from the boat. So you're fishing on the boat, flat deck boat. You're in the in front or in the back. I can have two fish, I can have two flat fishermen uh, going at it, by the way. Oh, really? It have to be oh. just one. Oh, yeah. I can have two. I put one in the back of my boat, one in front. Go for it. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun because uh, you can see them both, and they, they strike at the same time. And uh, it's pretty fun because they're looking at each other like, yeah, I got one too, you know. So these boats are hurricanes, right? So they're about 23 feet. 
you know, oh, like wow. a pontoon yeah. boat type. So a very comfortable mm-hmm. environment for them. You can walk around. You're not, you know, moving in the boat, like, you know, side to side or anything. It's very flat. So, yeah, for, for a fly fisherman, the only thing is, of course, I put a towel, put a towel down so that the lines don't get caught up with any uh, areas of, uh, you know, the, the little metal areas or whatever. But, uh, right. yeah, so it's super comfortable to be able to cast from the boat to the edges of the lake, or we'll see a huge tree trunk, and we're like, wow, man, cast right to that tree trunk and strip right through. We have a submerged tree, for example. We see submerged trees that are uh, lying down, and you know there's fish underneath that submerged trunk, right? So, so right. stuff like that. And no bugs. And, um, no bugs. No bugs, by no the way. Bugs. No mosquitoes. No, no, no mosquitoes, uh-huh. nothing. Well, that's not fun. That's what it, oh, man, <laughs> I know. You guys are so used to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I get, yeah. I get that question all the time, like, what happened to the mosquitoes? Well, since it's a pristine rainforest and nothing's been touched, they don't want anything with you. Of course, at 6.30 in the afternoon, yeah, they'll come for you. Yeah, yeah. And so you find, you say you're always going out in the morning. Morning's always better fishing. On the lake? Well, yeah, well, I say that, but, you know, I've caught some of my best fish at 12 noon. Mm. <laughs> at wow. 12 noon. And uh, the only thing, my logic is this. At 12 noon, there's two things going on. Either there was a light the night before with a big full moon, and they're on their second plate of food at about that time of the day, right? Mm. Or the sun is right over the lake. And uh, it really can show that lure or can show that fly better, hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. things like that depend, huh? Things yeah. depend. But, you know, I, people call me up, hey, can I go fishing in the, in the afternoon? Sure you can. Absolutely. Remember, it's a lake. The fish are always there. Yeah. Does the water temperature change much throughout the day? Yes. It- yes, it does. So there is a water temperature change, absolutely. And... Um, you know, that's notable. Sometimes, remember, it's like, well, warm is a good thing. These are tropical fish. They like that. In the yeah. morning, they're hungry, and they're, you know, the morning is, uh, you know, you're waking up, and everything is waking up in the lake. So that's one type of action. And then the other type of action is the temperature change in the lake. Mm-hmm. So that activates fish as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um Let's take a quick break and then come back and um, and we'll talk about some of the other fishing in Panama. So hang tight. I'll be back in just a few seconds. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Rich Cahill about fly fishing the Panama Canal and Pacific Coast Rivers. If you'd like to ask Rich a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and uh, put your 
question in that form and uh, send it in. We'll see if we can't get it answered for you. Um, before we move on to talk about rivers and other places around Panama, Rich, is there any reason or um, other places to go for freshwater fishing? Um, or has Gatun Lake it got it all for Panama? Well, Panama is actually very fortunate, being that um, we have these two oceans and the Panama Canal, the lake. But yes, there's other areas in Panama. In the, on the Atlantic coast, uh, there's these very large estuaries on the Atlantic coast. Uh, they're very nice. So it allows for the person to be able to stay in Panama and visit different areas of both oceans. So you have rivers on the Caribbean side. We, we commonly call it the Atlantic, but it's Caribbean. And then we have these estuaries that are very large, um, Escrivanos for one. And we have also this beautiful, beautiful Caribbean flats. This is known commonly as San Blas or Gunayala. It is an indigenous community with about 365 islands. And you have these wonderful crystal clear flats. And in there, Rome is bonefish and permit. And you are walking all day, I mean, with water up to your knee, and you are just, you know, basically putting a little camelback with water, and, and you walk these flats looking for bonefish and permanent. That's a, quite a, a scenic area, and that might require an overnight there. Then we have the opportunity to go to the Pacific side, Pacific rivers, and okay. also going up the coast. Okay. Before you leave San Blas, is that a place that you guide, or are there other guides? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh, yes. You do? We guide okay. it. Yes. It's on my website. And how far, you know, if you're so staying that, in Panama yeah, City? That one requires to be able to spend the night out in San Blas because you got, we have to drive up over the mountains. It takes us about two hours just to get to the other side in San Blas driving 4x4, four four, and then we go out to these dotted islands, and I go all the way out to where the shelf literally drops, and it's just flat. And you can see it in my, in the, on my site. Very nice. But that one will require more proficient fly fishermen that, you know, is, knows what they're up against because once you're on these flats, you know, you're out there walking the flats, and it's, you know, uh, time between you've seen that patch of bonefish and casting at it. It can be very frustrating, but extremely rewarding when you get them. And if, as, as anybody knows, a, a permit, well, anybody gets one permit, you can almost pack it up and go home, right? Because that's a very difficult fish to get on a fly. So where do you stay out there? Are there... So we stay out on an island of an indigenous group there, and there is a, um, I do tents, like a bell tent. Bell tent, we can stay out there in a bell tent. I have another place where we stay in like a, a small uh, kind of hut lodge. And when I say lodge, I mean an indigenous, uh, it's like kind of a sand floor. It does have beds, and it's got a thatch roof on top of you. And um, the only thing I'm going to serve you out there is uh, lobster, <laughs> lobster <laughs> and crab. But 
It's the only thing that's readily available. <laughs> Imagine that. You yeah. have to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a bit of camping out to do that. Uh, yeah, a bit of camping that. out. But, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's really beautiful, and you can also visit a wonderful indigenous culture. And I'd say that's the other thing. I do a lot with indigenous people. So I go up rivers, and I have indigenous people with me, and we kind of uh, go into the rivers, and I show people how the indigenous people use a cricket. They use a cricket, and they pass a cricket over the water, and these small fish come up and hit it. And that's, that's just a, a lot of fun. I mean, that's a day of laughing and catching lots of small fish with crickets, for example. So it sounds like out there that you can uh, catch your dinner in certain ways, uh, besides the bonefish and the permit, of course. But um, That's right. There's, uh, yeah. snapper, there's snapper out there, you know, things like that. So, yes, well, no shortage of eating seafood out there for yeah. sure. Yeah, very good, very good. So what would you, if, if a person was coming down and wanted to spend part of their vacation down there in the San Blas, what, would you devote like three days to that, or what would be appropriate? Yes, I would devote three, yes, I'd devote three days to it so that you, you're not in a rush. And um, that way you can really have, a, uh, if you put in a one good full day and you catch good fish, you're fine. So you have like a day coming in and a day going out and then a full day in the middle. And that kind of works out very well right there. But you'll get fishing on all three of those days. But On uh, all not, three of those uh, days. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the okay. day you come in, we, the minute we get in there and we're on water, we're fishing. Yeah. Okay. And then the next okay. day uh, is a full day, and then the next day in the morning, crack it on, we're fishing. And so then, it's not. Uh, and then we leave to, in the afternoon. So to get out there to where the fishing is, it's not like a couple hour run or something. Then. It's no, really close about in the, on the boat when I go out to that last island, it's about uh, forty five minutes to an hour to get out there. Okay. So after I get okay. to the coast, I go out there yeah. by boat. And then, okay. but that one really, like I said, requires more of a proficient uh, person who, who realizes what they're up against when you're walking yeah. on a flat. I mean, you're, you're yeah, but it's all what you're up against. You're waiting for both permit and bonefish. You're not fishing from the boat once you're out there. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So okay. that's a, all wait you, know, you can come back to the island and fool around and have a good time. But um, I, yeah. I usually, when I take someone out there, I tell them, look, this is. Is a real deal out there. That's you and the ocean right there. Yeah. Well, when I, you know, I fish for permit and, and bonefish in, in Belize uh, quite a bit, and there we're, we're generally on a boat looking for, like, pancake flats or that kind of thing, looking for fish. Then when we find fish, we're waiting and, and fishing, and then a lot of times they're off the flats and we have to go look someplace else. Do you move around with your clients in that fashion? or I do, I do. I usually have a small little boat, you know, one of the indigenous boats, because, you know, try to use uh, their resources always. And um, so, yeah, we move around. On the, we'll, we'll go to other spots. Like if this is not working for us here, we'll move to another spot, and then they get off the boat and they go in the water. And we, there's some mangrove patches as well that we go up to look at the mangroves in there, see if there's any action in the mangroves. Mm -hmm. And then we go back out, we have these large channels, and you can see the fish moving in and out of those channels. Okay. And so you try to get as close as you can. And that's, you know, crystal clear. I mean, it's like Belizean water. This is like Belize 
but with indigenous people. <laughs> with indigenous people. Belize <laughs> okay. has indigenous people too. Come on. <laughs> well, true, but I mean, this is a, this is a true full-blown culture where yeah. you, there's no city, there's nothing like that. This, this is one of the most iconic uh, native cultures in the Americas are the Kunas. And it's like a nation within a nation. When we go there, we're in their nation. Wow. So it's really a very, very interesting uh, group of people to be with. And uh, they're extremely proficient in fishing. And, you know, as, so so that makes it interesting just, just yeah. to be along. Yeah, well, you get a and, cultural, and uh, yeah, cultural experience along with your fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That may be more rewarding than the fishing at times. <laughs> so I found that in other places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, let me, uh, let's, um, so we've covered the bonefish and the, the permit out there pretty much. Let's talk about the, the river fishing, Bayano River. Bayano. Yeah. Um, and that's on, the Bayano's on the, uh, the south side, right? Pacific side. Correct. So uh, Panama, remember, is uh, the country runs from the west to the east in the isthmus, and our oceans are north and south. So we are in the Pacific South eastern section of Panama. So Miami okay. would be from Panama City to the east, from the main airport to the east. And uh, that runs about, we drive about one hour to get there. And uh, that's a crack of dawn fishing in the morning. Why? Because um, in the Pacific, not like the Caribbean, we're subjected to very big tides, right? Okay, yeah. And so the tides can be as much as 18 feet in the wow. Pacific. Yes, wow. So an 18-foot tide is no good, <laughs> right? So what we look for is we have average tides of about you know, uh, 11 and 12-footers, we look for these 11-foot tides, mid-tides, things like that, where the high tide that say 1 in the afternoon is wonderful. So what I do is I look at the bell curve. So I have, I come in on the, on the low tide of the river, and as that tide is coming in, it's bringing in mullet. And my God, it looks like a deep fryer. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. you have so much mullet on the surface, it's just amazing. And in come those tarpon, and they're racing up the river, and it's an amazing, they're very, very, uh, adrenaline is released, because you see 30, 40 tarpon just all over the place. And you're like, when, when, when do I get one? Well, you got to kind of wait for them to chill out. And then once <laughs> they start to chill out, Serious, because if they're hitting all the mullet, you're going to be wasting your arm there and casting. So what you do is you go up the river, and as you go up the river, you see the tides coming up, and we start casting to the sides, you know, and we're casting to the center. It depends on where we see the action. And the beauty is that these are the juvenile tartan. And so that's where your fly is not a purple fly. You don't need to put in purples and blacks and those colors. You can be using greens. Young tarpon see green. Older tarpon see purple, hmm. right? So it depends on what we're seeing, what, what's coming up, and so we switch around our flies. 
And uh, but yeah, it's very very exciting to do that. And I do that with spin rods as well. I have spin rods for that for people who want to come up with spin rods. I'd be very careful with the type of hook I use, like a, a circle hook type of circle hook, and then you know use a treble hook to not damage the fish. And I don't like to, uh, you know, I'm very careful with the fish to make sure that I release it correctly because I don't like to harm any fish at all. So I don't like to, you know, fight a fish for a very long time or stuff like that. But we try to keep it in the water, not lift it into the boat. Um, right. When they're big, you definitely want to keep it in the water. If they're small, you can. But uh, we're trying to lessen the damage with the hooks. Now, um, what size? This is kind of, like you said, juvenile tarpon, kind of like up in Campeche, Mexico, right? Where it's... Um, Correct. Uh, so yeah. very, yeah, you'd be surprised on how small of a streamer I've caught some pretty good-sized tarpon. And, you know, we've been using different patterns, even shrimp patterns, okay? A shrimp mm -hmm. pattern can work very well. But, you know, usually I've had... It's really different because you're in the Pacific... It's not what you, everybody is used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, even a, a white fly, it's amazing. Boom, they hit it. Yeah, yeah. The um, You know, um, bucktails, bucktails, for example, they hit it. Yeah, yeah. Let me, uh, I'm going to hold you right there. Let me uh, take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll continue with the tarpon, because there's a lot more to talk about with the tarpon. So hang tight, and I'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with the restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho, Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and it funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI serves as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rich Cahill about fly fishing the Panama Canal and Pacific Coast rivers. If you'd like to ask Rich a question, just go to our homepage and ask about fly fishing and send it in. We'll see if we get an answer for you. So, Rich, still talking about tarpon. So, what would you say is a large tarpon in this fishery? So, a large like tarpon average. inside, yeah, average is about, say, between 15 to 25 pounds. 15 to 25. That's still, a, that's a nice fish. Yeah, so a fun that's fish. a nice fish. Yeah, oh, absolutely. yeah. So, and are you? On my site, you can see one where it's a, and we're in a big dugout canoe. That's the other thing about the boat. The boats are these open pangas or dugout canoes that you can literally walk on them because you need to walk on them to be able to manage the fish. You know, once you're on, got to move out of your way and <laughs> you, you and the fish, see what yeah, you can do to yeah. bring it to the boat. Yeah. 
Now, are you you're actually going up and fishing in the river? You're not like fishing at the mouth or no. Explain no, that more. I go yeah. up the river. I come into a small little uh, port in the river where uh, boats go out of the river to go fish in the ocean. Right. Hmm. They head down to the mouth and they leave for the day. I go up the river as the tide is coming in and all the fish are coming up the river. So this is really the main species that you see there is tarpon. Of course, you hit snook there too. So you can hit oh. Pacific uh, black snook in there as well. Now, Fred Miller from Denver, Colorado wrote in and he says, I've always thought tarpon were an Atlantic Ocean species. What's up? Well, that's, a, that's another great question, and that is largely true. Atlanticus, Megapolis Atlanticus, the scientific name of the tarpon, because it is an Atlantic fish. But when the canal was built, remember there was a river. The tarpon had always been coming up the Atlantic rivers or the Caribbean rivers while the canal was being built. They created the lake. That tarpon got into the lake and it made its way into the Pacific with the opening of the Panama Canal. The first species ever found recorded is in 1930, and they recorded it in the Perlis Islands in the Pacific of Panama. So it made it into the Pacific, and today what people do not know is that this tarpon has now entered what we call the Eastern Tropical Pacific, right? It has made its way down as far as uh, northern Ecuador, and it's made as far north as Guatemala. And we don't know enough about this entrance of the tarpon, but what we do know is that the largest tarpon ever caught now has been caught in the Pacific about a year and a half ago, 317 pounds in Colombia. Wow on the Pacific. So yes, good question. It is correct that it's an Atlantic species. The species name has not been changed, and that's what we want to study. It's an understudied migration. So those, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of people catching uh, tarpon up in Costa Rica, and that's where they came from, right? Through the Panama Canal? That's where they came uh, from. They're all yeah. Panama Canal DNA. They all came through here. Hmm. So is so do you consider these uh, like the Bayano River um, kind of a nursery like Campeche, Mexico? where Absolutely, um, absolutely. Okay. So that's what happens. When the fish come out to the Pacific, remember, these are massive tides, right? As far as we know, right, they spawn off in the continental shelf, and then they make their way to the mangroves. In this Bayano River, which is uh, called the Chepo River, really, but Bayano's oh. um, the region, they come into this mangrove setting at the mouth of this river. So that's where their life cycle really engages and gets started. And when that mullet comes in and out of that, you, you better believe those young tarpon are racing up that river and, you know, hitting all that mullet. So, yes, it's a very important river for tarpon. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And the closest, and the closest to Panama City, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm assuming there's other rivers in the area that probably are like that, that further out, that kind of thing, almost untouched. That's correct. By, there's plenty yeah. of other places. You can go out 
ocean fishing, go by the Perlis Islands and you can hit a tarpon. You can go all the way to the west of Panama and go out by Coiba Island, hit a tarpon. I got photographs of tarpon way off in the ocean in the Pacific. So that's what this whole understudied phenomenon of this transiting fish. Now, um, is there any fishing over by, it looks like, uh, David, David, little town in the far west along that coast? There is great fishing. Towards the west of Panama, uh, if you look onto a map and you go to the uh, islands of Coiba on the west up towards Costa Rica, that whole area is very well known for black marlin, well known for cubero snappers. It's all well known for rooster fish, everything, but uh, you have great river sources in there as well. Mm. But yeah, you've got 60 species of fish at any given moment in the west. It sounds like there's just a, a lot of uh, kind of, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but untouched waters to fly fish in Panama as opposed to, you know, when you talk about the Bahamas, probably every nook and cranny has been fished, but it sounds like there's a lot to explore in Panama yet. I mean, Absolutely. Panama really is truly just in its beginnings, you know, so that's why we say it quietly. <laughs> Right, quietly, because we know what could happen. Uh, We're trying to keep this sustainable. But right, Uh, but Panama is also historically known, for example, for the famous fishing lodge in in the Darien, known as Tropic Star Lodge for the black marlin. I mean, this is this is a very famous area, and Coiba Island in the west, very famous for Hannibal Bank. You know, there's big records of big black marlin and stuff like that, yellowfin tuna and things like that. But Panama is just not on the radar list of people going like, oh, I want to go fishing in Panama. So you're right. There's so much to explore here, so much to see yet. Tell us about, um, before we go there, let's say you're traveling with a non-fishing partner things for non-fishing partners to do. Yeah, uh, Panama is an ideal place for the non-fishing partner because there's so much to do. Remember, this is a country that now is growing in tourism, beautiful colonial section, modern city. There's a lot of ecotourism for people want to go out and enjoy wildlife, birding, see monkeys, you know, enjoy Panama's beautiful terrain. So, yes, lots of day tours, easy to do. Uh, Like I said, that's on my other side of my my life, right? Uh, Right, right. uh, Ancon expeditions, and um, I lead a lot of uh, trips. So, yes. And um, and if the non-fisherman wants to join us in the boat, welcome to. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gerald in uh, Idaho wrote in and said, is it possible to combine a day of tarpon fishing with a separate day of snook fishing, and a third day of blue water species. All of them fly fishing. Yes, yes. We can definitely do like a multi-day is what he's talking about. We'll do tarpon one day, do the lake the other, and do the ocean, or do the ocean and do the lake. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we can, yeah, normally I get people who come in, they want to do peacock bass, and then they want to go do the ocean. So, yes, absolutely, That's that's definitely doable. Now, when you and we're not talking about the San Blas Islands when you're talking about no, ocean. we're talking about the Pacific. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. okay. We're doing the Pacific. You, so I can do one day in the Pacific, one day in Gatun Lake. Now, what do you do? Any fly fishing in the Pacific, um, like for Dorado or things like that? Okay. Yes, we can. So we can tease. We have teasers, and uh, mm -hmm. that's how you can get fish to come to the service, especially sailfish. And so, yeah, we tease them in there. We also have, again, uh, any surface fish coming up, you know, like if, if there's Dorados and there's tree trunks floating in the ocean, for sure we're casting that fly out to that tree trunk big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. So you really can make a really a very trip out of everything. That's that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to give you a few minutes here to talk about um, – before we end the show here, to talk about the conservation efforts that you've put into play okay. uh, and you're working on. So uh, tell the folks about what you're up to. So what I've designed is um, it's called uh, Panama Tarpon Conservation, okay? And it's you know, PanamaTarponConservation.com. And uh, my objective is that these countries like Panama, like Colombia, even Nicaragua, unfortunately, culturally, have killed the tarpon for chloric uh, reasons, for their uh, dresses, you know, the scales are used and things like that. And it's because people do not realize the importance of the tarpon or what the tarpon could bring as income to the country. And so my idea was to say this is the only place in the world where a tarpon crosses between the Atlantic to the Pacific. It is an understudied migration. For that reason alone, we need to study it. And my plan is that through uh, citizen science, through sports fishing, through my guests, we're going to raise capital to be able to satellite tag tarpon. I could do it acoustically, but satellite tag is where I would like to eventually get so that we can actually see what tarpon are doing as they're migrating through the lake into the Pacific. So I would like to tag them in the Gatun Lake. I'd like to tag them in the Pacific. I'd like to tag them in the river of the Pacific so that we can understand movements of tarpon. What will this do? This will wake up and the population of the importance of saving this fish for us sports fishermen, right? We don't want to have a fish killed and definitely not a tarpon. I'd like to elevate that to the level of marlin and uh, sailfish and that tarpon be recognized as a uh, fish that is a no-take fish. And so it's Panama Tarpon Conservation, and I have an Instagram to it and a whole explanation of what I'm going to try to do with these studies, which I'll be working with a group called the uh, Eastern Tropical Pacific Alliance. They're very interested in studying more about how this fish has become invasive in the Pacific, right? Uh, right. The Smithsonian Institute is helping me out as well. Smithsonian has done a great number of studies already on the tarpon, and their leading scientist there has helped me out incredibly, and he's all excited that I want to do this as citizen science, do it through sports mm -hmm. fishing, do it through the guest. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, what a, what a great effort. I know, yeah, we talked about this, um, you know, when I first met you, and I, I thought it was really interesting because really, um, 
Belize went through that whole thing. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Um, everybody was eating everything, and they didn't realize that, you know, tourism was a real moneymaker for yeah. them. And uh, I think it I took mentioned... a, long, yeah, a long educational program to get that in place. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's big. It'll bring a lot of jobs to local communities, and this is going to be my job now, is I'm going to go talk to these local communities. I'm going to interview them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's you got to be very careful how you talk to people. But, of course, I'm going to try and show them the positive side of what tarpon could do for their community if they're, if they're there, catch and release, and we know a little bit more data. We need data on them to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. And so it's a very exciting time. And, you know, tarpon have not changed. You know, they're the same species back with the dinosaurs. I mean, they're older than a T-Rex. So that same size tarpon was the same size back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always tell people, you know, every time you get tarpon, that's like hitting a dinosaur, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, they're a fascinating species when you can see what, they, what they're capable of. And they have, a, a, you know, people don't know they have like, it's, it's almost like a lung. They breathe. They come mm-hmm. out of the water. So these are the things that I want to excite my country with, and I want to excite Colombia with, and I want to excite Nicaragua with, because those are our challenges right there, because, you know, they eat the fish culturally. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I want to show them that fishing could turn this whole thing around. That industry could be uh, very, very lucrative for them. Yeah, yeah. And it's... um you know, like you say, they've been around forever. So they're survivors. You know, the tarpons are some—they're survivors for millions of years, which is really pretty incredible. So it'd hate—it'd it, be terrible for it to put their demise on us as humans, right? Yeah, What's that? that's correct. That's yeah. correct. And, and those important yeah. know about bonefish and trust and tarpon tarpon bonefish oh, yeah. and trust, and they are also very interested. In, uh, in what's going on in Panama because of that. So they're equally uh, been there to try and help any way they can as well. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's a bit of an uphill battle for now, but it's one that we're willing to take. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, uh, Rich, unfortunately, it's time to wrap things up here. And um, But stick with me. We're going to see if we can't. I think we're maybe having problems with our text messaging thing tonight, too, for some reason. I don't know what the deal is, uh, but but we are going to give away uh, this uh, the one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Um, yes. So stick with me for just a couple minutes. We'll finish up and call it a night. All right. Reeling, Reeling and Healing Midwest is a nonprofit organization that champions fly fishing retreats for women surviving and battling all types of cancer. Their mission is to introduce women to the healing powers of the sport of fly fishing and provide a one-of-a-kind experience on and off the water. This is accomplished through the elements of fly fishing, positive camaraderie, peer coaching, and nurture and support network, which in turn renews the spirit and hope of each participant. Reeling and Healing Midwest is in need of trout, weight flies, waders, leaders, fishing equipment, and other items. To view their current wish list, and to learn how you can support their retreats, visit fishon.org or call them at 616-855-4017. Again, fishon.org or 616-855-4017. 
Just a quick reminder to everyone before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And the winners for our drawings tonight are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on a chance to win some of these great prizes we have. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership for Fly Fishers International. To learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. Great organization to support. So our winner for that is going to be Mike Sousa, Mike Sousa in New Hampshire. Uh, so congratulations, Mike. I know you'll enjoy your membership with uh, Fly Fishers International. And the second thing we're going to give away is a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. To learn more about Trout Unlimited, go to tu.org. Again, that's tu.org, uh, another great organization to support. And let's see here. That's my database thing here. Looks like Mark Teleshaw. Mark Teleshaw in Pennsylvania. So congratulations, Mark, and uh, hope you enjoy your membership to Trout Unlimited as well. Let me see if my text is working here. If anybody's out there, can you please fill out the form on the homepage just to let me know if this is working or not, because I haven't seen anything, any questions come in tonight, so I'm, I'm suspicious. And I can't run this, this contest without some kind of communication out there. Okay, well, I'm going to give that up for tonight, uh, the giveaway of the book, just because I don't think the text is working here coming in. So, Rich, anyway, we'll, we'll leave that go. Rich, really appreciate you okay. being with us tonight. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. really appreciate you sharing all your knowledge about Panama. I learned a whole lot, and so thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it very much, and I hope everybody comes to Panama. A great yeah. place to visit, for sure. Definitely on my bucket list now, so uh, you've had so much good to say about it. So I hope everything works for you, and I hope the conservation efforts work out as well, and I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hopefully everybody's found uh, the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link in the top-line menu, and in the archive you'll find all our past shows, over 370 shows now, which you can search by keyword, keyword phrase, like trout, tarpon, Panama, canal coming up here, and so on. So uh, go ahead and explore, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you discover. Our next broadcast will be on July 19th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On that show, I'm going to interview Tom Rosenbauer, and our topic for the show will be finding trout. Tom has worked in many capacities at Orvis, from retail clerk, to lead enthusiast, <laughs> and what's always been true, no matter what his position, is that he's a teacher. Tom has shared more about fly fishing than probably any other person in the sport, and we're fortunate enough to have him back again on the show to talk about finding trout. So join us on this show to learn about where to find trout in runs, pocket water, riffles, and places you never thought to look. Be sure to add this upcoming show on your calendar. Just click on the Add to Calendar buttons on uh, right under uh, Tom's photograph, and you'll be all set. We'd also like to thank Fly Fishers International, Trout Unlimited, Stackpole Books, Lease Ferry Anglers, and Rico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight.
Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.